Father, we thank you that we are able not only to know you by name, but to know you. And we pray very much that as we think together this morning about your name and what it means to us, you will draw us closer to your heart of love for us. For Jesus' sake. Amen. I love that reading, not just because it reveals the name of God, but it reveals so much about God. I have seen, I have heard, I have come down. If you wanted a bit of the Old Testament that encapsulated the Gospel, that must surely be it. I have seen, I have heard, I have come down. I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. Isn't that wonderful? God says that our names are engraved on the palms of his hands, the original tattoos. God just looks at his hands and he sees our names. I am the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob and Tom and Dick and Harry and everybody else you can put your name in its place. Moses, tell me your name. And God said, my name is I am. I am. So what is in a name? We are looking at the third commandment today. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless, or her, who taketh his name in vain. Or to put it another way, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Of course, names are hugely significant and personal. Our name marks us, it identifies us, and to some extent, it embodies who we are. So think of someone you love. You only have to think of the name, and behind that name lies a whole body of feelings and information and stuff. And it's all represented by a name. A name is much more, of course, than just a signature on a page. And we don't like the names of those we love to be twisted or ridiculed or made fun of. You should try having a name like Gay. It's very good fun if you like that kind of thing. Because my father called me Gay in 1946 because he didn't like names that could be shortened. What he didn't bargain for was a name that would completely have its meaning transformed. But our names represent who we are. You only have to think of Elizabeth II and you immediately see her face and you know who she is. Gay pie, of course the pie bit links me to Terry. And I could of course take his name in vain by behaving as though I were not married to him. So it's quite a serious thing to carry someone's name. 
before I married, my name was Davis, a good Welsh name, which linked me to my parents, both by association and by reputation. And that's hugely important. If you say gay pie out there in the wider world, people will have all sorts of reactions to my name depending on what they think of me. And that's how it is with names. Now in the New Testament it says this, God swore by himself, so God took an oath on his own name. There's some people who don't like taking oaths in court, for instance, because they don't like to, I swear, by Almighty God. But Almighty God, I want to remind you, swore by his own name when he wanted to make the covenant secure. Now, Matthew Henry, some of you will have heard of Matthew Henry, those of you who are old enough to have heard of him, but anyway, he was a great Bible teacher. And he said, there were five categories of action that could constitute taking God's name in vain. And interestingly enough, the first of the things he suggests is hypocrisy. Hypocrisy. We take God's name in vain when we claim to be something we are not. That's quite serious, isn't it? Because we call ourselves Christians, which means we have taken to ourselves, just like I did on my wedding day, took the name of Pi, we have taken upon ourselves the name of Christ. If we take upon ourselves the name of Christ and call ourselves a Christian and yet do not behave as though we are, that is taking God's name in vain. He also suggests that covenant breaking, if one makes promises to God and yet doesn't carry out those promised actions. How often do we say to people, I'll pray for you. It's just a simple thing, isn't it, that we do as Christians. I'll pray for you. Well, if we don't, and sometimes we don't because it slips our minds, then we have broken a covenant which we made as a Christian in God's name. Rash swearing, says Matthew Henry, and I'll come to that in a moment. False swearing. So promising in court to tell the truth and the whole truth on the name of God and then not doing it, of course, empties God's name of any sort of meaning. And Matthew Henry goes on to make this point, which I think is important for us, that though we may do these things without thinking, so not to carry any guilt about that, The third commandment, the second part of it is, the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. So it's serious, isn't it? Because God takes it incredibly seriously when we take his name in vain. So the Puritans were quite hot on the Ten Commandments and what it meant to live them out. 
We were not to use God's name irreverently. We were not to profess his name but not live according to our profession. Our profession. We were not to worship him externally but not in our hearts. We've had lots of opportunity already this morning in the songs we sang to consider did we just sing them or did the words we sang come from our hearts. That's quite a challenge to me from time to time. God has singled us out and put his name upon us. So this name that God gave himself, I am, I am, I am the very essence of being, is taken up by Jesus. Now Jan very helpfully printed out the names of some of the names of God for us which um, you will see later in a video during communion but and I'll come back to those names of God but what isn't on the list is the I am's and we know that whenever Jesus said I am the bread of life I am the resurrection and the life I am the gate I am the truth I am the way I am the life It was to say to us, you can have all this in me. It can be yours if you would take my name upon you and believe. He calls us, of course, to be like him. And in the Old Testament, it's significant that when God told his people how to live, he so often said, I am the Lord your God. I am holy, so you be holy. This is my heart, so you reflect that. This is what I would do, so you do it. Because you are my people. He calls us to be like him and to reveal him to others through our family likeness to God. I read it this morning, actually. I read the story of a man. Um, It's not his real name, but he's an Iranian, and he's a welder, and it comes from Sat7. I think Sat7 do an incredible work in the Middle East. And this is what it says. Aras, a welder from Iran, became curious about Christianity after he noticed something different in the Christians he met. Aras particularly enjoyed taking welding jobs in church buildings as it helped him to feel closer to God. He loved working for Christians because he said, I like their behavior and the way they treated people. This man, Aras, has become a follower of Jesus, but he's fallen on bad times and now he lives with his son in his car. And he says this, I'm like a newborn. I have no idea where to begin. I ask that you don't leave me alone on this journey and help me to come 
to a deeper knowledge of God. Thank you for being there for me. I've just been to Durham to be with my friend who has Alzheimer's and we had to send for a plumber. I wonder if that plumber went away thinking, there's something different. Probably not, but that's the general idea. We come to blasphemy because this um, commandment has often been, con- in a sense, interpreted in the, in the sort of a genre of blasphemy. Of course, Jesus was almost stoned and killed for blasphemy, and it is one of the reasons he ended up on the cross, by claiming to be what he couldn't possibly be, God taking God's name in vain. And Stephen, the first martyr, lost his life in that way. We know that in the Islamic world, the offense of blasphemy carries the death sentence. I don't espouse the methods. I just think, you know, Islam has been better at protecting its precious name than we have at protecting our Savior's name as have the Jewish people, because when God gave his name, Yahweh, it was not allowed to be written. It was so sacred. So they took the vowels out of it and were left with the consonants. And I remember reading a story a while ago about a schoolboy who was in a Jewish school and he inadvertently on the blackboard wrote Yahweh. Well, the teacher was mortified because what to do with it? You couldn't possibly rub out God's name. You could not do that. So in the end, they cut the corner of the blackboard where the boy had written it, and they buried it in the school grounds. Something touching about that, isn't it? The reverence with which God's name is held. So here's the question. Have we, who bear his name, allowed the name of God and Christ to be trashed? And how do we react to it? When I was a prison chaplain in Shrewsbury, it was quite funny. None of the inmates would ever use bad language in front of me. And they even told the staff off for doing it. Why was that? Was it because I was the chaplain? or because they knew I never used that language, although I did have something to say about the F word, I used to say, I'm going to teach you boys English, because it's obviously the only adjective you know. Or was it because I sometimes reminded them of the name of God? Well, perhaps all three of those reasons. Taking the Lord's name in vain means to empty it, to make it nothing, to trash it, to be worthless and of no good purpose. Blasphemy or cursing the name of the Lord was prohibited in the Old Testament. Swearing in the name of the Lord falsely was prohibited in the Old Testament. 
false visions and false claims, those prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord, that also was considered to be a form of blasphemy. So what about us? What do we think of the name? When I was first a Christian, I was also a student nurse, and there was a girl called Merrill. She was a Seventh-day Adventist. And I remember three things about Merrill. One is that she was dead against shaving legs. She used to say, in those days we wore stockings as suspenders. She'd say, if you shave your legs, you've nothing to hold your stockings up with. So she was quite scornful of shaving of legs. The second was, I remember being in a lift with her in Fruitiscale Hospital, was packed with people, and there was a consultant in the lift, and he used the name of Christ. And Merrill, in front of all those people, said, please don't talk about Jesus Christ like that. And I was absolutely mortified embarrassed by her and not knowing where to put myself but also ashamed that she should do it and I would never have had the courage to do it but then she took me to where she lived and shared with me a very dirty joke those are the three things I remember about Meryl I wonder what she remembers about me Everywhere in scripture, the name of the Lord is exalted in the highest possible terms. We've sung some of those songs this morning. I'm just going to remind you of some. O Lord our God, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due to his name. The apostles proclaim there is no other name under heaven given to humanity, given to mankind, by which... We will be saved. Paul told the Romans, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And of course, we read in Philippians chapter 2 that one day, one day, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Clearly, the Bible, the weight of the Bible when it comes to the name of God, is not enshrined just in the third commandment, but it goes from cover to cover as something we should really take seriously. God has so many names, and John has printed some of them out for you. And it seems to me in reading the Old Testament that every time somebody discovered something new about God, they called him that. Isn't that amazing? The Lord who sees me, and well, you've got the list in front of you. El Shaddai, Jehovah Jireh, Ebenezer, Adonai. They're all there. Every name of God reveals something about him. Very, very precious. So, as I close, what has the commandment to say to us today? And how should we react? How should we honor the name? And how should we protect the name? And does the name need protecting?
Whether you watch the Bake Off this week and hear one of the bakers use Jesus' name as an expletive, or whether you watch any of the TV dramas or anything at all, more or less on the radio, you will hear now the name of the Lord taken in vain. In other words, it's been completely emptied of meaning. OMG, oh my God, is now so common, particularly over the pond, that many, many Christians use it. Many of our Christian friends use it. And I just don't think that the people who use those words mean to blaspheme. Do you know what? I just think it's that it doesn't mean anything to them at all. It's just an empty word. My father used to swear in a good South African way. It was a bloody good meal. You know what? I, <laughs> I grew up with it. But if you think about it, all the words which, you know, um, people were much more sensitive. So golly and gosh and goodness and Jiminy Cricket and Jeepers Creepers, they all were substitutes for people not to let the name of God pass their lips in the wrong way. So they're empty to the people who use them, but they are precious to us and we who are his should I think when we get the opportunity have something to say after all if you were in a lift and somebody swore on the name of your mother or your husband or your daughter you would be upset And you might even say something. So how is it that we rarely ever say anything when the name of our Saviour and our God is taken in vain? Of course, we have to choose our moment and we have to do it in the right way. But we might graciously and humbly say sometimes, Actually, God is my Father, and I love him. Or, Jesus Christ, he is my Savior, and I love him. Rather than just cringe, or tut-tut, let's not just let it wash over us, or accept it. Because if we do, then we are also saying it doesn't really matter. And if it's the name of someone we love and someone who means something to us, surely it does matter when that name is emptied of its significance and taken in vain.